So 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Let's listen now to God's word together. So as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and you do not keep my commands and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. So what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? I feel like this is the question in many ways of Solomon's life, right? In fact, if you've been following it along with this series at all, you know Solomon's been riding this wave of success. He's on top of the world. He's built the great temple. God's presence manifests therein. And Solomon's name is now so renowned that kings and queens are now traveling for miles just to see this man for themselves, hoping that his success will rub off. Just consider how far Solomon has come since when we started this series. This is the same man who, at the beginning of his kingship, is in complete desperation. Remember, God had appeared to him in Gideon, as our, our Gibeon, as our, uh, our text tells us. He's this young man, and Solomon falls on his knees. He says to God, I have no idea what I'm doing. This great number of people I can't fathom. I don't know how to go in or go out. If I don't have your wisdom, God, I have nothing. But now here we are, years later, Solomon is this gray-haired CEO everyone looks up to. And God's word tells us everything he had set out to do, all of his goals in life, all his desires fulfilled. Can you imagine? His wealth was beyond compare. His kingdom secure. He had amassed this land no one knew what to do with, a dwelling house of the Lord finished, a king's palace that was the envy of all. But in our lesson, God appears to this king now for a second time to give this man this word of caution. And you have to ask, what is it about this moment in Solomon's life that now brings God to this man to give him this message of choices and consequences? Why now? You know, it's on the top of the hill that we find ourselves in the most danger, right? Like hike to the top of any mountain peak, and it's always the last few steps that prove the most treacherous. The elements are in your face, your feet are on shale or snow, there's cliffs on every pitch. 
But it's at that point in the journey, right, where if we're not guarded, we'll misstep. And here's my point. I think it's easy to pray to God when you have little resource for yourself, right? That's how Solomon's kingship began. He was utterly dependent on God's word every day. He knew it. And yet, as you amass for yourself a a retirement portfolio and you, you begin to get your sea legs under you and you look back more than you look forward to your accomplishments, you can easily believe the lie that you're somehow self-sufficient, that you did this on your own. I was watching a group of college students earlier this week one night at the grocery store. They were giddy as all get out because they had pooled their money together for a six pack and a Marie Callender's pie. (laughs) Remember those days? Just think of how far Solomon's come, right? How did Solomon say it early on? He said, I am but a little child. I'm helpless. And yet now the money's hot and the fame is ripe and the foundation of Solomon's success really has no depth or no bottom because of its depth. And it's right here, right, then that God reminds Solomon to watch his next step. Washington Post recently published an article just this summer about the increasing death rate in America's national parks year over year. And the post was written after three falls in a row just in one weekend in August. A teen had fallen off a cliff in the north rim of the Grand Canyon. On the same day, a woman in California had fallen in the Tetons. And later that weekend, a Colorado woman slipped in the Rocky Mountains. So this reporter set out to find like the root of the problem, right? She reached out to these experts and and rangers, extensive research after hours of interview and study. Here's what she found. Look at what she pulled from an expert guide in the area. He said this, if people don't think the rules or the warnings apply to them, they definitely do. He said these tragedies happen when people go past the warnings to take a selfie and they fall off the side. I find irony in that last name. Chris Hazard. (laughs) Why do they fall off the cliffs? They failed to heed the warning. See, Solomon's on top of the world, right? It's selfie time. He's arrived in every sense of the word. His name is going down in history. And yet God, in his mercy, appears to this king to help him understand the treacherous ground before you has now arrived. And he tells this now seasoned king, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. I've answered your plea. The temple is consecrated. My heart is with you. But he says, Solomon, now I need you to hear me. He says there's two ways to live. Look again at this in verse four. He says, the first is to walk before me as as your your father David walked, with integrity of heart, uprightness and character, doing all that I commanded you. And if you do this, God tells him, I will establish your throne forever. Or, or you can walk away. But he says, if you turn from my ways, in verse six, God tells Solomon, it will not go without notice. I will cut the people off from their land. The house that I've consecrated will turn into a byword, a lesson for all those who see its ruin. I mean, can you imagine after seven years, probably thousands of people working on this, this stone structure, and God says, just as you brought it up, in the snap of a finger, I'll wreck it. Here's how Jesus would have interpreted that. He would have said something, I think, like this. He'd have said, there's two gates you can walk through. 
The first gate is wide, right? The, the path is easy to destruction. Those who enter it are many. The second gate is narrow, and those who take it are few. And the difference between those two gates means everything. You keeping with me? See, God knows Solomon's heart. He, he's this raging success. Outwardly, he's a shining star. And yet the Lord seems to know something about Solomon he doesn't quite get. And that is that Solomon is prone to wander and prone to leave this God he loves. I love how one scholar pointed out just how prevalent this pattern is among the scriptures. Just process this with me. Think about Noah for a minute. Remember Noah? He, he gets out of the flood. His boat's unscathed. All's good. He gets this new start, a fresh slate. Brand new beginning for humanity. And what does Noah do to celebrate? He gets drunk and naked. Not a great start. Abram, he's given a, a divine blessing, right? This promise from God. He says, I will bless you. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. You go with my protection, the protection of Almighty. First sign of threat, what does Abram do? He essentially sells out his wife, tells Pharaoh, she's my sister, you can have her. Israel, after years in slavery in Egypt, they're set free by the hand of God. The minute they get out, what do they do? They tell Moses, we wanna go back. They worship a golden calf instead. King David, as much as he had a heart for the Lord, he conquers Goliath. He's one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. It was, he gets to the peak of his career. He sleeps with Bathsheba and has her husband killed in the front lines. See, this is a curious moment in Solomon's life. He's just finished God's house. He's concluded this monumental prayer service, consecrated the temple to the Lord. God's presence fills the place. Countless animal sacrifices, ritual upon ritual, liturgy all over the place. He's went through all the necessary motions. And yet now God reminds Solomon, he says, do you see all that means nothing compared to your devotion with me? Look at how God later articulates this in the book of Isaiah. I read this up at the legacy site. It, it's a hard read. Read it with me. The multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meanestly stacked things. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. One of my heroes, Sinclair Ferguson, he once described the temple much like a marital vow. He said the temple was like the symbol of marriage between God and his people, much like a wedding ring is the symbol of the commitment that a man and a wife make. But he said what mattered to God wasn't the motions of the people inside the temple. What mattered was the integrity of the relationship of their hearts. I just got back from Dallas, Texas, uh, Texas snuck down for a 48-hour blitz trip to officiate a, a wedding of a student of mine. Started with her in sixth grade. It was so fun. 
And at the beginning of this service, before we even got started, I asked this couple the same question that I've asked every couple that I've ever married. And this was my question. Do you intend to embrace this woman as your spouse as long as you both shall live today? Every wedding, same question. Why? Because anyone can go through the motions. Anyone can say, I do. It's the intention of the heart that matters. See, and just as you wouldn't ask your spouse to be 60% committed to you in your marriage, so God tells Solomon, I want all of you. I don't want to compete with the idols in your life. I want 100%. And so if you follow my ways, consider yourself blessed. But if you chase after idols, if you chase other gods, this will be to your own ruin. You know, and yet as you look back over the eight chapters of 1 Kings, you, you can find these cracks of compromise. You might remember at the, the beginning of this story, early on, weeks ago, Solomon at the very beginning entered into a marriage covenant, an alliance with the king of Egypt, which meant he was marrying into another pagan religion. Or as you read Solomon's prayers throughout, they're incredibly rich, but you also can find these moments of this subtle pride where he says things like, Lord, I have built you a house, as if God needed Solomon to get the job done. Later, Solomon spends twice as much energy on his own palace, far and above the temple of the Lord, 13 years, verses 7. See, what we're going to find in the next coming weeks is like, this is the moment where Solomon stands on the continental divide of his life. And from this point forward, he's only going to live one of two ways. And yet the passion that he once held for God, it's fading. His, his loyalties are becoming divided. See, and with these two ways to live, God tells Solomon, there's really two consequences in your life. If, if you commit yourself to me, consider your life blessed. You will live happily ever after, the, the throne forever. But if you forsake my commands, if you go after other gods and you worship them, two things will happen. Exile from the land that I gave you and the outright rejection and even destruction of this house. In fact, verse six, that word you, it's now plural. Right, this isn't just for Solomon. This is for all the kings that come after him. God tells this man, worship anyone else and it'll result in rubble. The temple ruins will be a proverb to future generations. Look at this in verse eight. People will pass by, God says, and they'll ask, why did God do this? And then they'll answer, because they abandoned him. Years ago, Eugene Peterson wrote a commentary called Eat This Book. I wish I would have thought of that title. Reference to Revelation 10, I think, where the Lord calls on John to eat the scroll. But in this book, Eugene talks about the dangers of going through the motions in our relationship with God. And his claim was, today, the, the, the church often comes to the Bible like we come to fast food. We, um, we think the goal of, of reading scripture is to kind of scarf it as fast as we can, check the box, and move on, when really, the aim should be much more like a Thanksgiving meal, to sit down with it, to take time with it, to, to feast on it. Eugene said at one point in his life, um, he got into the habit of long-distance running, and as a part of this newfound love, he bought three different subscriptions to a running magazine. He wanted to know, like, all there is to know how to be a runner. And so he grabbed as much information, this is pre-Google days, as he could possibly find. But shortly into this new love, Eugene pulled a muscle. And he said with that, he fell out of the rhythm entirely. And as fast as he began running, he then quit. 
He said, interestingly enough, soon there were unopened magazines all over his house. Almost overnight, he lost interest in reading too. And the reason that he quit reading was these magazines were an extension of something he had previously been committed to, right? It was the rule by which he was going to live his life. But if he's not running, what is the point in reading? And here's how that'll preach. See, when we fail to pick up God's word, it reveals something about us. When we don't care about his scriptures, it tells us where our heart is. If you're not living the life, if your heart's not into it, of course you don't care about the word. See, and the most important question I think then that a Christian can ask is, is not what does this passage mean, let's quickly get through this, but I think the most important question is how do I live in obedience to it? How does it change me? See, God tells Solomon, I don't just want some of your commitment, I want all of it. Solomon, I want you to walk in integrity of heart and uprightness. I want you to walk according to all that I've commanded you, keeping my statutes and my rules. I don't want you to just know my thoughts, I want your life. And yet, rather than heed God's word, it's not long before this dam that is Solomon's pride just begins to fall and the break ensues. Solomon, we're gonna find, soon marries into every kind of pagan religion you can think of. He leads Israel astray from the Lord doing exactly what himself had prayed, he himself had prayed against. And the giant comes crashing down. What idols do you carry on your mountaintop? I mean, this passage brings about some questions, right? Like, what happens when we fail to give 100%? What happens when we rest more on the idols of our success than our need for his grace? Are, are we too cursed? Are we cut off? Exiled? It's kind of a troubling word. I mean, Solomon flopped hard. And yet I think what this encounter of God points us to yet again is that we need a different king to lead us. Right, we, we, we need someone who is much better than Solomon. Solomon couldn't do it. And left to ourselves, the reality is you and I can't either. No, Jesus Christ is the only one who lived a consistent, faithful, committed life to the will of the Father like no one else can. What God asked of Solomon, only Jesus Christ fulfilled. He's the only one who walked with integrity 100% of the time. The only one who kept the statutes and the rules according to the Father's command. And even though Solomon failed, and even though the people were exiled from the land, even though the temple came crashing down, God's promise to preserve that throne remained all the way to Jesus Christ. And so what this story teaches us is really simple. It's that you and I have a choice to make. We can reject God's plan in Christ. We can go our own way, damaged by our own rebellion, faced with our own consequences. Or we can live by a new way a way Solomon couldn't have even fathomed. See, and I share that because it seems to me our lives are not that far off from this man, right? Maybe you don't know what it is to have Solomon's riches and fame, but we all know what it is to be on a mountaintop of whatever accomplishment we just achieved for ourselves and yet also stand on fragile ground. We all know what it is to, to hit all of our goals and yet feel a little bit empty. What it is to struggle with competing idols in our life. And yet God doesn't want just a part of us. He wants all of us. And the way we know this is he sends his one and only son. The way we know this is he, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that now we can be enabled to trust in him, to be sanctified in him. Look at this in Romans 8. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is an incredible resource I want to point you to this morning. You can pull out your phones and look this up with me if you want. Otherwise, I'd put it somewhere. I love this tool. It's called twowaystolive.com. Twowaystolive.com. It's an awesome gospel track that'll walk you through the, the two ways that, that, that God is referring to this morning. And I want to just say this. If you've ever felt successful by the world's standards, but you felt broken inside, I want to just walk you through three of the steps in this website. And the three steps look like this. Here's how you might begin anew this morning. One, talk to God. It's that simple. Just, just admit to him how prone you are to wander. Confess to him all the ways that you've tried to lean in on your own merit and yet failed. Ask him to forgive you for the ways that you've, you've ignored his counsel. Tried to live by your own pride, chased after shiny things. Two, ask him for help. You know, just as a spouse wants 100% of their significant other, so God wants to change your life so that you can live wholeheartedly for him. And we know, right, just like Solomon, we can't do this on our own. We need a perfect king to complete our obedience. We need him to guide us, to guide our feet. So ask God to help you with your habits of sin. Think about what are they? Your, your pride, your greed, your lust. Your impatience. This week I learned from my eldest daughter, Taylor's Sunday school teacher. She was asked last Sunday, who is the most patient person in your life? And she confidently and very quickly responded, my mom. <laughs> to which the Sunday school teacher, Ron Nafsinger, responded, are you sure it's your mom? What about your dad? And Taylor, ever wanting to protect my reputation, said, no, it's my mom. Talk to God. Ask him for help. Third, this is the most important part. Put your trust then in Jesus Christ. Here's the hard truth, friends. We will never find contentment or peace or comfort or lasting joy if we try to rest in the accomplishments of yesterday. And we will never truly arrive, even if we hit all the goals that we've set out for tomorrow. There is only one way that God has brought his people rest, there is only one way that the curse was broken and the blessing was given to God's people. And that is for you to put your hope then in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, I want to invite you to make the choice with me to live again for him. Philip Riken from Wheaton College said it like this. He said, all of us have a choice to make in life, either for God or against him. And the choice we make will make all the difference for eternity. Let me help us do that right now. Will you pray with me? God, we just bring to you uh, our feebleness, our fickleness in faith. God, we call upon your name and just in, in thinking about who you are, we can't help but realize how quickly we are to wander.
And God, like Solomon, we, we confess, Lord, we, even when we go through the motions, there are times where we rest far too much on our own accomplishments, on our own achievements, on our outside appearance, on the motions of our lives. So God, would you just do a heart check right now? And God, if there be any way in us that is not of you, we return. God, I wanna pray for those who don't know what it is to have a relationship with you. I just wanna ask, Lord, God, that you, by your grace, would stir their heart to choose the better way, to choose the way that is life and life abundant and life everlasting. And so God, like, like Solomon, Lord, as we hear from you this morning, we, we just confess, God, we, um, we need your help to make the right choice to follow you. And so, God, when we stumble, can we, can we look to the cross and know that we're forgiven and loved? Lord, when we find ourselves distracted, would you, by the Holy Spirit, steer us back? God, not all of us like to run, but all of us want to run the, the, the path of faith. We want to complete, in Paul's words, with, with victory and say we have fought the good fights, we have ran the race, finished the course. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you... Make us a people of your word. Would you strengthen us, embolden us in faith this morning, Lord, so that we can leave this place trusting in Jesus' name that others would come to know you too. Lord, teach us the better way to live and keep us from our shadow selves. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.